Hi, I'm Jason Hatcher, Managing Principal at Navigator's Western Offices. I'm excited to welcome you back to The Western Edge, a podcast by Navigator featuring stories in Western Canada. Today, we are discussing the opportunities and challenges of the emerging interactive digital industry that's developing here in Alberta. We are pleased to welcome Scott Nye, President of Digital Alberta and Head of Game Studio Operations for Improbable, as well as Nick Facey, Digital Alberta Board Member and lead industry solutions for Unity Technologies. We're so pleased to have both our guests with us today. You've heard it before, the West wants in. This is the Western Edge. Welcome gentlemen, thanks for joining Western Edge. Thank you. Thanks for having us here, Jason. So let's get started. Uh, Scott, maybe we'll, we'll start with you. Um, you know, we usually, when we talk about industries, development and, and economic contributions in, in Alberta and in Western Canada, energy usually comes to mind. So you're here to talk to us about digital and what's going on in that space. What's going on out there? Well, overall, the, the game industry and, and more broadly referenced as the interactive digital media space or IDM, it's a, uh, it's a booming global uh, market. So. Year-over-year uh, -year revenue growth of about 20%, uh, $175 billion in global revenue, uh, expected to grow to $200 billion in the next year or so, uh, 3 billion uh, players around the world consuming content. And uh, so uh, needless to say, it's, it's just a huge uh, opportunity um, for uh, Alberta to to properly be positioned and and uh, represented in um, what is actually a, a really strong IDM industry in Canada. Um, so we we clearly punch above our weight on a per capita basis, uh, the strength of the Canadian IDM sector, and uh, obviously through the work that Nick and I are doing and others at Digital Alberta, we're looking to share that story and uh, ensure that the right conditions for success uh, are in place here in Alberta as well. Nick, part of what we've been doing through this podcast in the last episode or so is, is showcasing uh, for uh, those fo folks who don't live in Western Canada, you know, some of the things that are going on beyond energy, uh, as I sort of said at the outset. So from your perspective, what do you see out there? What's exciting and, and what might surprise some people who, who aren't uh, a part of it, even to us who live in Alberta? Yeah, uh, I think the combination of the worlds you just described, it's actually the energy industry, traditional Canadian uh, sectors combined with the video game industry. And that's, I think, something that, especially in Western Canada, we're really emerging as leaders in. And you know, that's exactly the world that I live in on a day-to-day -day, uh, job. It's take the video game technologies, apply it to traditional industry problems, and watch both benefit. Okay, so you, you got to show us more about that. How is that crossover work between video games and the energy sector and energy production? I think there's an emergence of the technology being ready to be used by the energy sector workers. Um, you know, I'll openly say Microsoft's probably been a leader of combining these two things. You, you'll hear taglines from IBM and consorts like digital transformation, uh, bringing it into the 20 different industries into the 21st century. I actually prefer to start more at the end user side. So video games are an, an exceptional and an awesome user experience. Obviously, they're actually for the purpose of joining fun. But, and so that sector has moved way ahead of traditional industries and how easy and how fun they are to use. So 
um, you know, a pipe fitter has incredible interaction with his phone before he ever gets to the job site. And then the tools when they get to the job site are antiquated 1990s based stuff, never designed with the user in mind. So a big portion of this is actually just getting them all of the information in a tool that they actually like to use it in. Uh, and you, know, you get awesome user feedback, uh, quicker adoption, and all of it's made by the tools that Scott and other game companies are pushing forward. So you know, maybe I'm gonna reveal myself as a bit of a Luddite here, but is that when we talk about gamifying uh, industries or bringing that piece, is that what we're talking about here? Bringing in those elements and, and, and is that really appealing to kind of you know, the, the next generation of workers? So gamifying, I'd say like a 10% portion of it. Um, I, I have an example I can come back to, but I really think it's, it's as much like, I expect there to be a search bar here. Where on, where on my phone will I find a search bar? Versus like you know, some traditional programs where there is, there is no search bar. So if I don't know the right uh, part number for the pump or the right work order number, I'll never be able to find it. This is that, how do I actually make it more usable the same way that a 12 year old boy or girl logs into Fortnite and knows where everything is, everything they could possibly want to do in the game. They don't need a tutorial on how to use it. It's setting up our work systems that exact same way. Right. It's, it's pretty powerful. If I could interject it, the, you know, to, to Nick's comments earlier, you know, when, when he's developing these solutions for industrial um, customers, uh, he's, tapping into the same gameplay programmers that we require uh, with uh, deep expertise in C++ programming. Um, uh, you know, obviously Nick uses the Unity platform, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, the uh, Unreal game engine or a Unity uh, engine, um, uh, we need people uh, experienced in, in both of those um, uh, to come and, and participate and, and work at a company like Improbable uh, or a BioWare or a New World Interactive, a Beamdog, et cetera. Um, uh, the UI UX elements that Nick is referencing, a critical element of any uh, consumer facing uh, video game uh, that you're putting out, but just equally important for the folks at Sirius Labs here in Edmonton uh, as they uh, roll out their uh, industrial uh, training solutions for uh, being on the, you know, taking taking training away from the worksite and putting it into a digital AR VR experience and being able to export that technology and that solution globally leveraging that investment that's been made in foundational sectors here in Alberta, applying the technology that Nick and his team and others are trying to do within uh, Alberta and exporting that, that's a huge opportunity for us to be exploiting. You know, it's, it's fascinating listening to that because it sounds like there's so much going on, Scott. Um, and, and maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Why here? Why Alberta or why Western Canada? You know, we hear as Calgarians and Albertans, we hear noise about this sector, but I think if you're, unless you're in it, you don't realize how much is going on. So why, you know, what's going on here in Alberta and, and, and why here? Well, there's certainly, there's, there's um, uh, large studios like Bioware. If folks are familiar with Bioware, having been here in Edmonton now for 25 years, um, actually just released the Mass Effect Legendary Edition today officially. So uh, if I'm sure some people are going to be enjoying that, I'm sure. Um, and so to have that anchor tenant, it did create a opportunity for um, other organizations to over time um, uh, spin off. Um, you know, certainly a large number of people here at Improbable, including myself, as you mentioned, I used to work at Bioware. Um, uh, other uh, companies like Beamdog um, were there. Uh, but I think the the exciting 
changes that happened at least uh, over the last couple of years and what attracted uh, companies like uh, Nix, uh, what attracted New World Interactive to come up from Denver into Alberta, uh, what actually doubled the size of the game industry here in, in Alberta uh, was the introduction of the IDMTC. Um, and uh, so that was in place for, you know, call it approximately 18 months from the time it was first announced to the time that it, that it um, unfortunately um, uh, was, was cancelled in the October 2019 budget. Um, it, those types of incentives exist in other jurisdictions across Canada. Um, and we continue to uh, work with the current government to uh, advocate on behalf of the industry in order to uh, get similar types of incentives brought back into the Alberta market. And then we can continue on that path of, of job growth. We got great talent coming out of the UC, the U of A, uh, certainly on the, the programming side. Uh, there's great talent coming uh, out of uh, post-secondary on the um, uh, called the creative side that mirrors up with that programming talent. Um, so access to talent here in Alberta, uh, certainly out of the post-secondaries is not an issue. What we're clearly uh, interested in is creating the right environment so that job growth is happening here in, um, in Alberta. Uh, as opposed to other places in Canada where the job growth is happening right now. And that gives uh, people coming out of post-secondary an option, uh, op opportunity to stay here locally as opposed to moving to Vancouver, Toronto, or Montreal, or uh, down to the States as the case may be. Nick, maybe I'll get you just to pick up on that, right? And maybe talk about some of the barriers. I want to come back to what you guys are looking for because, you know, we often in Alberta, we talk about the unemployment rate right now, right? We've had a bit of a downturn in recent years. And I talk to anybody in this sector and they tell me about the number of job postings that they have out there for coders, for other things and, and how long they've been posted and, and how, how much they're looking for, for, for talent. It's great to hear the summits coming through the pipeline. What other barriers are out there, Nick? Uh, you know, this is a competitive market. Everybody wants to host the next Amazon, right? Every jurisdiction does. So, you know, what, what, uh, what do you see as barriers in Alberta or opportunities? Yeah, so I'd actually like to start with like Scott mentioned the anchor tenant and the importance of that play. Right. And that, that really is where a lot of opportunity comes in existing. Like to try and go get a developer in Silicon Valley is both very expensive and nearly impossible. And the mobility, how, how often they'll switch jobs is going to be you know, very, very short time periods. And that actually was the initial uh, push up to where Vancouver and EA got their big opportunity. You know, call it 40 years ago, 35 years ago. And, you know, EA led over to Calgary or Edmonton having BioWare. And it's, it's the way those anger tenants grow and expand in the search for opportunity for talent. And that's the same thing that we're in now, where we actually now have this ecosystem that's spinning on its own, still with good ties. You know, Unity is a, a largely a San Francisco-based company, but, you know, we're building out an entire floor here at Brookfield Place hiring developers as fast as we can find them. Uh, I'm sure Scott and myself have multiple job postings for very similar skill sets, uh, and both on the developer front and the designer front, and probably on the project manager front too. And that's a really neat field where you see some transfer out of the traditional industries where maybe jobs are going away. And that, that's a skill set that transfers very well over into the technology creative industry space. You know, the, the retraining period adjustments is pretty small used to managing pretty large budgets, multidisciplinary teams, and then, you know, uh, most software development is done in an agile manner, but you still have to work against a deadline. So uh, that's something that I've seen a lot of, and then senior talent. So being a younger industry, you often need to 
bring in senior talent from elsewhere. And that's where being tax competitive and not having a total package offering, which Calgary has many, or Alberta, sorry, has many, many advantages too. You know, cost of living is lower, the Canadian healthcare system and, and benefits of meeting Canada, the stability that represents. But if, you know, Toronto is offering an almost 40% tax credit, there's a, there's a significant tape on parity that causes. So if you're trying to attract someone up from the Valley that wants somewhere they can raise a family, buy a house, we, we still need to, to bring Alberta up to parity on that playing field. Yeah, and uh, to build on that, I actually had a conversation this morning um, with uh, a gentleman uh, uh, in um, sort of the, the uh, economic development side of, the, of uh, an organization here in the province. And, and um, I was talking to him about the IDM sector overall, and, and he asked me straight up, he said, well, but wait a minute, Alberta, the you know, our, our low corporate tax rates, how does that play into this? Why does that help you level the playing field to other jurisdictions? And, and quite honestly, the, you know, the, the, the hard answer is no. Um, but what it, what it actually does, you know, Nick referenced the uh, relative low cost of living for, for people. And as an employer, um, you, you want to make sure that you, you, know, you do have an eye on, well, uh, I have somebody in Vancouver, I'm paying them a six-figure salary, they're in a 400-square-foot condo, um, that's not a great lifestyle um, uh, for a lot of people. Uh, I'm looking at attracting people that are probably going to be having families. So, okay, yes, setting a foot down in Calgary, setting foot down in Edmonton, um, that's, that's an attractive proposition for my employees, So, and it's a relatively low cost of living for them. Uh, okay, so that, that helps. Uh, Alberta does have a low uh, corporate tax rate. That helps. Alberta does not have a provincial sales tax. That helps, but it's not enough to close the gap. But what it does say is we don't need to have the most aggressive labor-based tax incentive in the entire country. Far from it. We just need something to get into that conversation because the first part of the conversation is always, oh, okay, well, we're going to take a look at these other jurisdictions because it's, it, it, the, the, the cost of doing business there is going to be less for us as an organization. And when you're talking about industries right now that are absolutely fueled with job growth, you're talking about the global IDM sector. So Alberta um, getting, you know, pardon the pun as usually said, but just to get Alberta into the game, we will benefit as part of that job growth and it can help fuel the economic recovery of the province. Do you think that, Scott, do you think that uh, that tax credit piece is at the biggest barrier? Oh, absolutely. Like it, it's just a, it's just the the first part of any conversation, um, you know, and sure, will there be organic growth in Alberta? Yes, there will be. But if you're talking about um, attracting investment dollars into the province, you're talking about dealing with large multinationals that are simply looking at the cost of doing business in any jurisdiction. That's that's what any good, healthy business will do. And they are going to take a look at the different incentives that are available in different um, uh, jurisdictions. And they've made the decision now to come to Canada. And then they're going to line everything up in front of them and go, oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, I'm going to start in Vancouver because there's a good talent pool there. Here's what I know my cost uh, of setting up business is going to be. That's better than going to 
Calgary or Edmonton because my cost structure is going to be higher there. And so, you know, the the, the programs themselves they pay for themselves. The 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 spinoffs um, and and they're they're uh, attractive propositions at least from a uh, from a government perspective because I have to as a uh, as as a as a private company I need to go and I need to make that investment. I need to hire somebody. I got to put money on the table. I have to. Uh, hire them. I'm employing them for a year, um, and then I'm submitting, you know, and and applying for the different incentive uh, that exists in in the other jurisdictions. And quite honestly, then you know the 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 time value of money works in favor of these jurisdictions. Uh, but then more importantly, um, the the uh, the the money that's coming back to um, uh, to different organizations, such as fueling more job growth and the economic spin-off of those jobs and the indirect spin-offs of those jobs in the in the local economy, it pays for itself. So, you know, which is why they're successful programs in those jurisdictions, and we're just looking to uh, ensure that that gets set up here in Alberta as well. Nick, I want to bring you into this part of the conversation. You look, you've spent a lot of time in BC. You're still still very involved in BC. I, we were talking before the podcast began. I know you've lived out on the East Coast as well. You know, just building off what Scott was saying, how does the West look? Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and, and BC is how does it stack up within Canada, and how does it stack up in North America? Yeah, so there's always that the, the both the within Canada comparison and then the immediate comparison down south. Um, you know, we're, one of the advantages that Western Canada has is being closer to the time zone of the hub of the world's technology industry down in the valley, which has moved a little bit over towards Austin as well and up to Denver. But, you know, a lot of the heartbeat, where the financial dollars come from, who understands how to grow these companies, how to market them, it's, it is, there's a very heavy Silicon Valley influence on this. Um, I did want to revisit the point of um, the strength that Alberta is in to, to scale this industry. Um, so where are companies, uh, mid-management, senior managers uh, in their mid to late 30s settle, buy a house and have family is the, is the place that it's gonna grow for the next 20 years. So uh, Vancouver and the Valley are great places for startups. You can get lots of fresh grads uh, that earn a whole bunch of money and kick off their careers. And then they sit there and say, I make $150,000 a year and I can't buy a house. Mm -hmm. So I can't have my first or second kid in this 400 square foot condo, 600 square foot condo. And that's where the expansion point to the, the slightly lower cost living area, it still is a business competitive area, really has a home run hold. So you, you get that 30 year old, mid 30 year old to move over there, have a, a kid, have a family, get their kids enrolled in school. Now you have your next anchor tenant spinning up. You get a, a whole bunch of 40 year olds all with, kids in their single digits, they're not moving. That base won't be moving. They're going to keep on driving that industry cycle. And I think that's right at the precipice of where Alberta is positioned right now. Now, um, we've seen a ton of growth in Montreal in the past 10 years, outstripped Vancouver. And they did that with a very aggressive tax credit structure, plus an underlying creative talent skill set. So they made up with a technical deficit by making the ability to attract them there added in their, their own local advantage, which is on the creative base, and you see wicked job growth. I think a, a helpful thing to just understand the perspective of, so you know, just Unity, we're about 3,000 people around the world. We have, I think, approximately 500 job openings right now, uh, over 150 which in Canada are in Canada, 
and well over half of those out east. So let's let's maybe just jump on that. There's we've got people who who maybe want to get into this industry. We maybe have the odd parent who, like myself, who's uh, who's wondering if there's uh, there's opportunities for our own kids as they grow. What do people need to be thinking about? Whether you're at that transition career piece or or whether you're looking at at just sort of coming right out of high school. Maybe I'll start with you, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I'd, li I'd like to hear Scott's take on this. Um, in my experience, there's two main high value points for individuals to enter the tech industry. One is the very deep uh, specific skill set. So a C-sharp, a C++ developer, the industry will gobble up someone's technical capability. The other is actually the breadth person. The, do you have the understanding on, on the way the marketing industry works, the way the tech industry plays in that fit, and what the problems are across the two? Because there's a large adoption curve, and that takes someone that understands how a whole bunch of different industries work together. So. I see two main points there. And of course, the transition person is going to be easier in the later, whereas having a whole bunch of expertise in the tech sector and not currently being in it, that, that person might not exist. Right, fair enough. Scott? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to go back to, you know, one of those old chestnuts because it, it certainly is a, um, you still sort of get asked. It's like, you know, oh, my, my, my son uh, or my daughter, I uh, just love video games. Can, can you get them a job? It's oh, no, like, I, uh, I haven't descended into <laughs> asking a doctor for medical advice in a podcast, have I? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it's like, oh, so what's their background? Well, they just love playing video games. Like, well, that's not uh, quite it. Because, um, you know, and, and the, the misconception is that there's, you know, entry-level jobs within the games industry that don't require uh, for your comp sci background. And, and quite honestly, the industry has matured um, to the point where if you're serious about getting into game development, um, it's a phenomenal career. Uh, there's, you know, you could, you could uh, have jobs around the globe, uh, quite honestly. Um, but uh, just like anything else, um, apply the time, uh, learn your craft, uh, a four-year um, degree program is going to uh, serve you well. Um, and, uh, you know, to pick up on Nick's point, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a CPA. So, uh, you know, like, hey, and, and I've, I've said over the last uh, 10 years now that I've been um, uh, directly involved in, in the Alberta game development um, scene through either EA or, or an improbable, um, always a good time to be a finance and accounting person in the games industry, uh, particularly in Alberta, right? So one of the things that we have shown over the last year, um, like, uh, I'm, not, um, uh, I'm not blind to the challenges that um, the uh, 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 resource-based um, economy uh, can have. And Alberta over the last uh, 10 years has had its series of ups and downs as the uh, you know price of oil goes up and up and down. And, and I'm not immune to the pain that that causes to people who have lost jobs, uh, who have had to move elsewhere, who, uh, you know, their children are coming out of school and they don't know there's no jobs available for them. Um, and um, you know, we, we, we need to get, we need to get away from that. Um, you know, COVID over the last year has just been absolutely brutal on uh, the local economy in addition to the oil and gas slump. Um, and, you know, uh, through all of that, um, what has, uh, what's actually been growing? Um, well, it's the IBM sector and, and it's proven 
Yeah, it's a strong statement, but but I would stand behind it. It is proven to be recession proof. And that that is a extraordinarily strong statement, particularly in Alberta. So maybe last uh, question we finish up. This has been a fascinating conversation. Time has flown by here. But you know, maybe just building off Scott, uh, for both of you guys, your last comments there, Scott. Um, how much opportunity is going to come from the fact that you know we are in a situation in this province for sure we're heavy heavy dependent on oil and gas but there's a big push now particularly by the majors they've all committed to getting to net zero by by 2050 in line with the paris accord is there some symbiotic growth to both their efforts to uh, to decarbonize and and the uh, and the industry itself nick i see you nodding there virtually yeah so absolutely we work uh every single day with suncor with enbridge uh and, and many of the others around their digital transformation, uh, the idea of an operational twin and how that can reduce you know, the greenhouse gas emissions, as well as actually improve their cost competitiveness in their core business industry. Um, so that's something that's really cool to be part of. And obviously, you know, the, the tech sector is going to be a major part of that transition. Well, that's happening but, now in real time, right? In, in real time. And I also just want to hammer on that, like, the, there's actually an advantage about to be or currently being afforded to them by being partnered with the tech industry and that they're going to be able to export their knowledge and expertise on this transformation around the world. So the, the solution will begin here in Alberta and it, it like the product itself will be exported. Um, and, and that's like a really cool point to become like the, the hub of the digital transformation in, in the energy sector. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about this on this on this podcast before that opportunity for Alberta and for the cities in Alberta to become kind of world leaders in that space and export that technology. Scott, last word to you on that. Obviously, we're we're acutely aware of some of the real estate challenges that are going on in Calgary uh, and Edmonton, and and not you know obviously the downtown core gets a lot of it, but it also um, plays out into other parts of the cities. Um, and the collaborative nature of the things that we do, there's a lot of buzz out there about, oh, COVID has helped redefine what the future of work is going to be and everybody's going to be working remote. And, and there's some merit to that for strong individual contributors that have now uh, you know, effectively negotiated some um, flexibility in the way that they are going to be able to do their work. But if you're gonna grow your career within the IDM sector and you're gonna actually uh, be an organization that produces um, you know, top tier talent uh, and, and product, um, then uh, you're going to do that through the collaborative nature of coming together, um, being in the same space, um, you know, bouncing ideas off each other, um, getting in some of those scrums, looking over people's monitor at some of the work that they're going on, providing real time feedback. That's the way that our industry works at its best. And in order to do that, well, you need you need space. I was talking with a, um, a CEO of a company out in Vancouver that was looking at the Alberta marketplace. And they said, you know, we're looking at remote work, but this is the way that we see it. It's, it's I might hire five people in Calgary and I'm gonna hire them remote. And they're gonna be working from their home because what's gonna happen, they're gonna wanna get together because that's just human condition. And so they're gonna get, to get, to get together at the corner coffee shop to start. And they're gonna start working on their laptops. And then there's gonna be enough of a presence there that we're gonna take out a 
you know, pay by the month, um, uh, office, uh, come, come and go as you please. And then uh, as we continue to build up that team to, you know, 15, 20 people, then we're going to get serious and we're going to open up a smaller space with an option to expand. And that's how they sort of see this journey. And, you know, and none of this happens overnight, but with the right uh, in incentives in place and the, and the right framework, uh, the right programs, um, you start planting uh, these seeds. And so, uh, you know, you, you start something now and you'll, we, you know, I want to be in a position where 15 years from now, we're looking back in Alberta and going, man, oh man, what a journey we have been on. And uh, more importantly, look at how we compare now to the rest of Canada. We are, you know, shoulder to shoulder, uh, as opposed to right now, uh, we're just a bit, uh, we're a step behind, but all the right conditions are there for us to be able to catch up. It's, it just requires just a little bit more tuning to what our value proposition is. And Scott, I, I like your story there of growth and where things started. And the when you, as soon as you said, meet at a coffee shop, uh, so, uh, Finger Food, which is was acquired by Unity in, in May of 2020, which is where I how I joined Unity. Our first office space was above the coffee shop that we originally started meeting at as a group of five and then 12. And then eventually, uh, you know, had 15 developers crammed inside of one room above a coffee shop and said, oh, we're actually a, a real enough company that we should go get an office space. And how that continues to grow. Um, you know, we have a 30,000 square foot industrial warehouse in Port Coquitlam, just outside of Vancouver. That was directly related to a project we were doing with Packard Trucks. And now we have over 100 people that work out of that location. So how fast these things grow um, from late 2012 through to May 2020, Finger Food grew from five to two, over 250 people. Uh, Unity from something like 2018 through to 2021 went from 1,000 to over 3,000 people. The, these industries have an uptick curve that is awesome to be part of. And I think Alberta has that same opportunity right in front of us. Well, I think that's a great uh, place to stop on a, such a positive note. I feel like we've only scratched the surface of this conversation. There's so much going on that I think a lot of people in Western Canada and across the country don't realize is happening right here in Alberta, but also across uh, the Western, uh, Western provinces. You know, there's a lot to offer here. We've got skilled, skilled people. We've got a beautiful place to live and, and it's a pretty good place to start a business as well. So uh, it's going to be exciting to see what the future like looks like. So gentlemen, let's get started right away. Best video game. Scott first. Uh, best video game. Uh, oh, well, it depends on my year. This isn't going to be <laughs> rapid fire. Uh, but man, the uh, let me put it this way. The amount of time I spent as a teenager pouring into Wayne Gretzky hockey, which was put out by Bethesda back in the day, is is actually obscene. I and like so, it. yeah, that that's definitely it. There's a lot of uh, other options out there. But Wayne Gretzky hockey, that's probably one of my earliest hardcore experiences. Just like a guy from Edmonton to figure out a way to bring Gretzky into the conversation. Nick, how about you? Favorite video game? Best game today is Apex, but uh, I'm going to give a shout out to my boy Lance Wall, who created the, or was the technical director on the, on the NHL franchise for EA. There is no franchise that I've spent as many hours in as EA NHL. All right. So you're, you spent time in the East Coast, Nick. We're going to stick with you. You've been to the West Coast. Now you're in Alberta. What's your favorite hockey team? Got to ask the Canadian question. I'm a fan of the hockey team I've never lived at. I'm a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. Okay, we're uh, be champions right of now. the North Division. Probably going to come out of there. Oh. Just positioned for a great year. First ever Rocket Richard winner in Austin Matthews. Let's go. Yeah, well, I'm a Habs fan. We have that Rocket Richard guy. I knew him. He had to... Scott, your hands are in your head. What? Uh... 
<laughs> or your head is in your hands, I should say. What's your favorite hockey team? Uh, well, soft spot growing up because I actually uh, lived in Southern Ontario uh, is not the Maple Leafs, it's the Buffalo Sabres, um, back from the Gilbert Perot days. <laughs> but uh, uh, definitely having been in Western Canada now for um, uh, well over 40 years, and I'm definitely aging myself, uh, I would have to say that I am definitely an Oilers fan. Yeah. All right, over to you, Nick, for favorite craft beer. Uh, favorite craft beer. So Finger Foods co-founder Trent Chume has a bakery, uh, has a brewery called Bakery based in Port Coquitlam. They make boutique uh, barrel-aged sours that are impossible to get your hands on. But if you do, there's no better way to spend a sunny afternoon. Oh yeah, sunny afternoon in Port Coquitlam is always a good thing. Anyway, Scott, how about you? Favorite craft beer? Uh, if you just give me a lager, I will be happy. <laughs> Not a discerning taste. Sticking with you, beach or mountains? uh mountains yes yes i'll take uh skiing over the mountains versus water skiing any day all right i'd like to talk to you in another whole podcast about skiing then i'm guessing uh nick how about you uh, skier as well big big mountain guy uh not one for hiking but some golf courses with altitude changes enjoy those too yeah, well, this is my sad time of year here in the spring as the ski uh, ski season comes to an end. I'm hoping to ski, believe it or not, we're in May. I'm still hoping to get one more in. Uh, last question, you guys. This is the easy one. Best jurisdiction to invest in the tech sector. Nick? I'd sure like it to be Alberta. There you go. How about you, Scott? Yeah, uh, Alberta, 100%. Guys, thank you so much. I think what you guys are doing is very exciting. I'm sure we're going to be hearing lots about this, uh, these initiatives in the future and, and some of the challenges that we've talked about uh, just don't pertain to Alberta, but all of Western Canada, in fact, across the country. So uh, very excited to talk to you guys today. Thank you for making some time. Awesome. Jason. Western Edge is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high stakes public affairs firm. Our show today was produced by Kathy Moore, Kayla Duty, John Gardner and Kim Drapak. A very special thank you goes out to both of our guests, Scott and I, and Nick Facey for joining us today. Tune in every Friday over the summer to listen to the latest episode of The Western Edge.